the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. IRA. The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. There's nothing worth more that could ever come close. No thing can compare. You're our living hope. Your presence, Lord. I've tasted and seen of the sweetest of loves. Where my heart becomes free and my shame is undone.
Apostle John wanted one thing more than anything else. He wanted to see his children prosper and walk in the presence of the Holy Spirit. I want that same thing. I want to help you today understand the specific hindrances that block the presence of the Holy Spirit from your life. I want you to see and understand those things which must be let go of. We need to be very specific while not being legalistic. For most of us, I'm going to make the assumption that what you want more than anything else is the power and presence of the Holy Spirit in your life that you could serve Jesus in a whole new way. We're going to turn to the book of 1 John. 1 John, the first chapter. There are some scriptures here at the very beginning that we must have an understanding of to understand the will of God regarding our lives. Now as we begin, let's pray. Lord Jesus, I can't express these these truths adequately. It will take your Holy Spirit coming in power to open our hearts and our minds and to deal with us at the very inner core of our being. Lord, would you come now? Holy Spirit, would you come? Would you enlarge these words? that they would not just fall to the ground and die, but would rather quicken my brother and my sister, even as they're quickening my own heart. Lord, thank you. I pray in your mighty name. Amen. Oh, I know the cry of my heart is for the endowment the gifting of the Holy Spirit in power, not only for sanctification, but for power to reach the lost and the dying. When we come to this first chapter, this is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. This is a word that John has received directly from Jesus for us. It's a a broad statement of absolute truth. God is light. In other words, everything needs to be filled with the light of God and exposed so that we can see clearly the inner design of our own hearts and give that into the hand of the Holy Spirit that we could pray out these hindrances to his presence, that he would have free access to our hearts. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship, 
That is, if we claim to have koinonia, where we lean on God, where there is intimate fellowship between our hearts and God's, and yet we walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. So if we're walking in deliberate sin against God, we walk in darkness. But today we're going to identify other ways that we may be unconscious of, ways that we have had from our childhood, ways that cause us to be unconscious before God and unable to receive His Holy Spirit. This is 1 John 1, verse 7. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus His Son purifies us from all sin. This is what our hearts desire to be washed and clean. But the Holy Spirit has to come and with arrows of conviction show us, open for us an understanding that we could pray out these hindrances, that we could gain the victory over them. There's no room for pride. There's no room for hiddenness. We must be able to be completely open and vulnerable before the Lord. Verse 8, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. This passage of Scripture, 1 John 1, eight, has led to the destruction of many, many people. It has been plucked out of the Scripture it is not read in context. I listened to the Bible Answer Man some years ago as he plucked this out of context and said, every one of us constantly sin all the time, and if you claim you are not walking in sin, the truth is not in you. Well, he was lying. He was misusing the scriptures. We must read this scripture in the context it must be hermeneutically understood. That is, contextually, what is it saying? It says, The blood of Jesus, his Son, purifies us from all sin. But if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. He's saying, Look, there are among you a people who believe that their spirit is all that counts, their body is wicked. They believe that they don't need Jesus. They don't need his forgiveness. They don't need his blood. John is saying very clearly, if you claim to be without sin, if you claim you don't need the blood of Jesus, you have been deceived. He says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. This is what we want. We want to be able to confess honestly all of our sin. That's why it must be uncovered. And if we confess our sin before Almighty God, He tells us that He will purify us from all unrighteousness. He will purify us from all sin. 
If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his word has no place in our lives. So if you claim you don't need the blood of Jesus to wash you, you cannot be saved. If you claim that you've never sinned and so you don't need a Savior, if you claim that your good deeds will save you, you don't understand the reality, the seriousness of your sin that will take you to hell. There is only one way to heaven, and that is through Jesus Christ. And he must come, and he must cleanse us of all unrighteousness. The purpose of this broadcast is to lay out very specific detail about the kind of sin that we keep hidden in our hearts that we must deal with. My dear children, chapter 2, verse 1. I write, I write this to you so that you will not sin. It is John's intent that we should be purified from all unrighteousness by the blood of Jesus Christ. And that from that day forward, we should not walk in sin. We have one who speaks to the Father in our defense. Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. We know that we have come to know him if we obey his commandments. The man who says, I know him, but does not do what, his, what the commands require, he is a liar. The truth is not in him. But if anyone obeys his word, God's love is truly made complete in him. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus walked. Do you understand? We have an advocate with the Father. If we sin, we have an advocate with the Father who speaks in our defense. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. He washes us and cleanses us. But we must acknowledge our sin. We must acknowledge before him and not continue to walk in that sin, but to be made clean. Now we come to verse 15 of chapter 2. And this is where he begins to be very specific about our sin. Do not love the world or do not agape the world. Do not sacrifice your time or your energy for anything of this world. Don't sacrifice your time and energy for anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, if anyone sacrifices, if anyone agapes the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world. And now he's going to tell us exactly 
what is in the world. The cravings of sinful man. Literally, in the Greek, it is the lust of the flesh. And the lust is to have an inordinate desire to possess, to experience, to have. And so what is the lust of the flesh? It is that which is sensual. It is that which is impure. These are desires that seek to gratify themselves in sexual experience. Is sex wrong? No, God created sex. He created it to be between a man and a woman. He created sex even chemically between a man and a woman to draw their hearts together as one. That's why we don't want fornication because fornication will draw a man and a woman to be one when they are not one and it is a lie. Sex is holy and sacred between a married man and a married woman. But there is this sensual desire in the way we dress, in the way we act, in the clothing that is worn. I see women wearing clothing that is so suggestive exposing their breasts tight around their hips, bare midriff, bare backs, sexually alluring. This is the first sin of the lust of the flesh. It is a gratification of the sexual, of the sensual, I see men wearing jeans so tight. I'm ashamed to even look at them. I went recently someplace, and there I saw a man and a woman that I've known for a number of years. They call themselves Christians. I could not look at the wife. She was dressed in such a sensual manner, popping out of her dress, breasts exposed. I couldn't even look at her. I turned my eyes away. I've made a covenant with God not to look on a woman in lust, the same as Job made that covenant. Overcoming sexual lust is one of the final acts of becoming righteous before God. It is the most tempting of desires in a man's heart and in a woman's heart. And so we have pornography. We have magazines where I don't want to even look at them because they're so filthy, they're so vile, Mixing together in our culture, something so wicked has come about. It is the mixing together of the sensual with the violent. And so if you were to look at a magazine like Maxima or other magazines, I don't participate in them. 
but their main allure is to combine sensuality, sexuality, with violence. This has become mainstream in our culture, and it's wrong, and it will totally block the Holy Spirit from your life. If you engage in the sensual pleasures of life, you will grieve the Holy Spirit from you. You may say you're a Christian, but you will have no overshadowing of the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life. The Holy Spirit will utterly leave you to your intellectual properties, to your propositional truths, to your doctrines but you will be devoid of the presence of the Holy Spirit. You will have no power in the Holy Spirit because you're unclean before God. Gourmet foods. I have a friend who owns a beautiful restaurant. He invites me to come whenever I can to eat at his restaurant. He doesn't charge me. I couldn't go if I had to pay. It's a five-star restaurant. I go at the Lord's command. But something that I notice, I notice that people will spend large amounts of time going over the menu and talking about each item, gourmet food, each item on the menu. And they'll talk with delight about the flavors and about the textures and about, as they combine this with their favorite wine or champagne or beer. And they, they live for this gourmet food. It's everything to them. It possesses them. I also see a great desire to be pampered. A great desire to to be pampered physically in whatever way pleasures them. Indulgence. Love of social life. Always wanting to go to the party always wanting an invitation to the latest and greatest social event. Party time. Consumer time. And so the lust of the flesh involves reaching out and consuming all of the finest things I can consume with my life. Then comes lust of the eyes to possess the finest, the finest in clothing, the finest house, the finest furniture, the finest car, the finest finest art. And with that comes, how do I describe it? It's a consumerism again. And I have to admit, I was raised in a very poor family. We didn't know we were poor, but 
When my mother and father sent me off at great sacrifice to a boarding academy because they believed I could be prepared better there for ministry than to go to public school, I discovered a whole new world of sophistication. Most of the students who were there were much more sophisticated than I was. I was a rude country boy. I was a farmer's son. I was backwoods. And I remember having to adjust my clothing to be like everyone else. And then my parents came to visit. And suddenly I felt very ashamed of them. I didn't want to introduce them as my parents because my mother wore an old-fashioned gingham dress and had old-fashioned shoes on. And my father was dressed in old-fashioned clothing, humble clothing. He had a nice suit, but he didn't wear it very often. He usually wore a pair of slacks and a, and a jacket when he went out in public. But just their appearance and the, and the way they spoke was totally out of touch with the modern culture. And very quickly, I adapted that modern culture in my life. I'm deeply grieved today that I was ashamed of introducing my mother and father, that somehow they were old-fashioned, out of touch. And I went even further. When I was at seminary, I decided I was not going to go to my first church driving my old car, a blue Volkswagen Bug, very old, I said, no, I can't go to my first church driving this old-fashioned car. And so I was on full scholarship to graduate school. But I took a job and I worked to earn the money so that I could buy a new car when I graduated from seminary. And so I drove my first car that I bought brand new a Mercedes-Benz, so that I would not be old-fashioned and ashamed. Such wickedness. A man is not a man because he drives a Mercedes or a BMW. A man is not a man because he drives a new SUV that he paid $40,000 for. Desiring to be seen as somebody. This is the the lust of the eyes. I know a, a man I love deeply. I count him as a friend. I speak to him on every occasion about Jesus. But when I see him, he is dressed in such finery. It is gaudy. It is attention-drawing. 
He enters a room and everybody notices him because of the very expensive and fine clothing that he is wearing. He walks in that finery. But I know he is poor as a church mouse. I know he doesn't have two pennies to rub together. But oh, in the arrogance of his heart, he wants everyone to believe that he is very successful, that he is somebody, that you should treat him with great respect. This is the lust of the eyes. And then there is, in the same passage, the boasting of what he has and does. This is the pride of life. I too have sinned in this. To be seen as somebody. To be seen as up and coming. To be seen by others as being successful. To be respected. And the Lord has worked very diligently in my life to strip me of these things, to expose them, to cause me to spend great amounts of time in prayer, agonizing over these issues of the pride of life and the lust of the eyes and the lust of the flesh. These are the things that block the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. To be arrogant. I talk with some people and through the conversation they will drop the names of very important people to them. Imitating and making believe that they are as important as these people because they're friends with them. Washington, D.C. is awash in name dropping. Storytelling. I've sat so many times with men, older men especially, but it, it also affects middle-aged men and young men, telling stories, stories that make them out to be the hero, stories of wrongs done to them, or stories of how they have faced difficulty and won, and everyone looked up to them, and they were important. And these war stories go on and on. There's some men I can't stand to be with because I know as soon as I get with them, they're going to retell their war stories. And I don't want to hear their war stories one more time. And I have said to some, Brother, you've told me that war story ten times. Where are you today with Jesus? Tell me about your walk with Jesus. And they have become very incensed and angry because they don't want to talk about where they are with Jesus. They want to tell me how important they are. And they always want to tell the story so that it shows them as the hero or the heroine. This is gossip and chit-chat. This is telling war stories. 
that have been embellished with time. Lying. I have in the past been guilty of this, and I am utterly ashamed of it today. I don't think any of you listening to this broadcast today can claim that you have not walked in the lust of the flesh or the lust of the eyes or the pride of life. I believe we've all walked in this. This is the human heart's condition. And these are great hindrances to the presence and power of the Holy Spirit moving in our lives. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the boasting of what he has and does comes not from the Father, but from the world. And the world and its desires pass away. But the man who does the will of God lives forever. We must learn how to pray out these hindrances. Disobedience, when the Holy Spirit begins to speak with us about a specific area, disobedience to that command will cause us to be hardened in our heart and cause the Holy Spirit not to abide with us. Unforgiveness. Bitterness, anger. Because we have not been successful in convincing someone that we're important. Or we've not been successful in acquiring the things that we desire to acquire. And so anger and rage builds up in our hearts. We're angry because our plans are not working out as we had thought they should. We're angry at the people who stand in the way of our plan. And that anger, and that impatience, leads us into disobedience and bitterness of heart. And the Holy Spirit is grieved from us. Over here in the book of Romans, there's a passage of scripture. I want to read it to you. In Romans, the first chapter, the wrath of God, this is Romans 1.18, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. Verse 21. For although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God nor gave thanks to Him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man, birds and animals and reptiles. 
Therefore God gave them over in sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity. The first sign that you're being given over by God to wickedness is sexual impurity. The first sign that you're in trouble with God is when you look at a man or a woman and you lust after them. The first sign that you are right on the verge of being given over utterly into darkness is when you click on that pornography. When you go into the masturbation. When you go into the wickedness of the sensual. That's the first sign you're being given over to wickedness. And your life is being impoverished and you will not be able to know the Holy Spirit. We must confess these things before God and we must pray these hindrances out of our hearts. Sin is a hindrance to the Holy Spirit. And we must plead with Him to change us, to cleanse us. Now I know we're entering into a time of such trouble in America. We're coming into a time of food shortage. There are threats of asteroids in September hitting the earth. There are many things to be terrified of. There's there's war and rumors of war. Nation rising against nation. We're all wrapped in these diapers over our face. Such foolishness. Everybody's afraid of COVID-19. They've never read and prayed through Psalm 91. I'm not afraid of COVID. I read Psalm 91 and I stand by faith in it. But see, as we face all of these terrible times that are coming upon us, we're powerless because we've walked in wickedness. And we as the church must be crucified with Christ. We must give up our sin. We must turn from our sin. God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator. They served the gourmet food. They they served the, the new car. They served the things of the flesh, the entertainment of the day. They consumed the football and the baseball of the professional world. They consumed the entertainment, the movies, the video games. They consumed the wickedness of the world. And so God began to give them over in their minds to sensuality, to sexual uncleanness. Because of of this, God gave them over to shameful lust. Even their women exchanged natural relations for unnatural ones. I listened to a 
a dear man who was trans, a Baptist pastor in Canada, appearing as a woman who came out and told this last month her congregation that she was a trance. And after consultation, the board voted to fire her. Can a man become a woman? No. A man can't change his genes. Can a woman become a man? No. It's against the order of God. And yet great arguments of love and compassion are made for why this should be acceptable to us in our culture. It becomes humanistic. It is devoid of the Holy Spirit, and it is filled with the human spirit. And so natural relations are given up for unnatural ones. Verse 28, Furthermore, since they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, he gave them over to a depraved mind to do what ought not to be done. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, depravity, they're full of envy and murder and strife and deceit and malice. They're gossips, slanders, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They are senseless, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but approve of those who practice them. Paul in Romans 1 is describing the reality of our culture. And they will not, we will not escape the judgments of God that are coming upon this nation and upon the American church if we show contempt for the riches of the kindness of God, his patience. It is God's kindness that leads us toward repentance. But our stubbornness and our unrepentant hearts simply store up wrath against ourselves for the day of God's wrath when his righteous judgment is revealed. And God will give to each person according to what they have done. So today we've identified some very specific areas. If the Holy Spirit is speaking to you, there's only one way for you to deal with that. It's the only way I've been able to deal with my desire for the finest in life. It's the only way money became utterly unable to touch my heart. I have no desire to possess or own money today. Money is something I am dead to. 
How? Why? Because I finally saw the sin I was walking in. And I prayed until all love of money was taken from my heart and from my soul. The love of the finest to be important was taken from me. Because I prayed that hindrance out of my life. The ambition to be somebody has been washed from my soul. I could not have removed my ambition. I was, as a young man, the most ambitious of all the men, desiring, pushing, grabbing, growling, doing whatever was necessary to gain the plum appointments. I was wrong. I was sinning against Almighty God. Today, my selfish ambition is gone. This morning, as I was before the Lord, I was praising his name and thanking him, for he has removed that hindrance from my life. Fear has been one of the greatest governing powers of my life. Constantly afraid. It was a hindrance to me. I had to pray it out of my life. Today, there's no fear in my heart. Not because I overcame fear. But because as a greater and greater revelation of Jesus came into my heart, my mind, and my soul, I saw I had nothing to fear. That Jesus is everything. That his word is true. That he will carry us. And so I had to go into the prayer closet and pray and cry out to God until he removed fear from my heart. And as he removed it, my soul was flooded with peace and with joy. And I praise him today that I can come to the radio broadcast without fear. Are you living in fear today? Are you still walking in the sensuality of the, of the flesh? Are you still trying to show yourself off and make people think that you're something? Is your heart cynical and angry? Then you must stop denying the truth. And you must get on your face before Almighty God. You must submit yourselves to God. You must seek Jesus and ask that the Holy Spirit 
would remove these hindrances to his presence. For the Holy Spirit is jealous of you. He wants you. He desires. He needs you. He wants to live in your body and use you for the work of the gospel. You allow him to do that. James, Pastor James in the fourth chapter. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve and mourn and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. These hindrances must be dealt with. The Holy Spirit will come if we ask him to. And he will show us envy and selfish ambition. If we'll stop denying the truth about our heart's condition. If we'll admit the unspiritual part of our hearts. If we'll admit our love of money, our love of things, our love of being recognized, as the Apostle John teaches in First John. If we'll honestly admit our true condition before an almighty God, and then we get on our face before Jesus, these hindrances will have to go. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. We've come to a time when we cannot afford to have the fullness of the Holy Spirit in our lives. An intellectual Christianity, a historic Jesus, simply will not work in what we face in America. We have to have a real, living, true understanding and relationship with Jesus Christ. We have to see Calvary for what it was. We have to see the resurrection. And we have to see the redeemed Lord Jesus. And know that he wants to send his Holy Spirit to us in great power for the work of the gospel. Let's pray. Oh, Holy Spirit, come. Give us the courage to pray out these hindrances, to put them under the precious blood of Jesus, to resist the devil that he would flee from us. I pray in your holy name, Jesus. Amen. I have some housekeeping for you. I have found with my brother Ed a very easy way a very simple way for you to give 
let me tell you what it is. If you will dial this number, you can text your donation to the National Prayer Chapel for Pilgrim's Progress Radio. It is the easiest way you can give. If you will text 833-824-7302 and the word give, it will open for you on your cell phone where you can fill in the information and you can text the offering directly and quickly and painlessly. I tell you, thank you, each one of you who give. Thank you for those of you who write to me at the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. Or you can simply dial that number. Go to our webpage. It will be listed there nationalprayerchapel.com You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress I'm Ray Greenlee God bless you I love you, I'll talk to you soon